Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Hey, good morning. Great to be with you. My name is Mike. Welcome to our community. If you are new, uh, a couple of things. Kevin referenced the stations around the room. There are four of them, and there um, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. There we write down prayer requests and put them in these little wooden uh, notches. Uh, There we um, surrender and learn to be generous with our finances. Uh, We take time at the kind of after this part of the service to just sort of respond however it is that God is leading us. And oftentimes these responses are really intense. Um, Last week we were talking about Jesus's critique against the righteousness of the Pharisees. And we were talking about his use of the word hypocrisy. Hypocrite, which is the idea that um, it was a stage term that meant someone was wearing a mask. We ended the service by asking, hey, where, where are we? tempted to wear masks? Where are we tempted to act more righteous than we actually are? And we talked about how deeply we want to be a community that's actually real, and that takes time to build trust and so on. But the responses that we got were uh, unbelievable. Um, Somebody had written, if you put that up, Sarah, somebody had written this, God accepts our real face, but the world, the Christian world, is kinder to our masks. And I thought that was a really profound observation. The place, the community that should be the safest because we believe that human beings are fallen, so we're never surprised. We believe that no one is beyond redemption, so we're full of hope, right? We're that community. Very often, we're the community that reinforce mask wearing most of all. And so um, it was powerful to read the, the writings of people who were just saying, yeah, this is where I wear masks. And um, not going to read them for obvious reasons, but they were in categories that, some of which are heartbreaking. Tempted to wear a mask around my family, tempted to wear a mask at work, tempted to hide addictions and certain behaviors. Um, I am tempted to hide my questions about God tempted to hide what's going on with me um, in my sexuality, tempted to pretend on social media, none of us can relate to that one. I'm tempted to, be, to wear a mask in my marriage or to pretend like I have the perfect family. Some are saying it's, it's um, really easy or t- tempting to be two-faced at church or in a small group to act more knowledgeable or righteous than you are. Um, to be pretend you're more successful in business than you really are, I'm tempted to you know be um, put on a mask when you pray, and then and then a couple people wrote around pastors, um, and uh, I had a conversation with somebody today or this week, and they were like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Well, I I, I work. I'm a teacher," and and they're like, "Where?" I said, "For church." And instantly the behavior flips, right? And you're just, so I totally get it. Um, Anyway, one of the things that this sort of brought out as we were kind of praying over these was just how incredible it is to be a part of a community that's committed to being real. 
Like these aren't just superficial things we're talking about. This isn't just sin management we're talking about. We're talking about the transformation of our hearts as we grow into the fullness of God's kingdom. And so I was just so proud. I mean, I, was, I shared stuff. Um, you know, we, we're part of this whole thing together. So I just wanted to pray again over us that we would lean into the idea um, that we can be a community that accepts the, the real faces of people. Um, and, and I know a lot of us have baggage from the religious community. I totally get that. I've been part of the problem and have been hurt by it myself. And so um, it's okay that this is a very progressive and slow thing, but that's the goal. The goal is you don't have to wear a mask here before our Lord Jesus and before his gathered community. So Father, we desire that to be true of us. We desire that, God, to be a place um, where we can come and not have to pretend. And God, we, um, we realize, and, and, and of course, Lord, we know, wow, this is, this is such hard soul work, but that's our hope and our prayer, is that we get a view of you that allows us to rest in the reality of who we are, and that we become a people who extend that same grace to others. So we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple things. First, we're going to continue on in our series of conversations around the Sermon on the Mount. As Kevin said, um, there are, there dis, there's a just great discussion group that meets during the next service down the hall and to the left. And then we encourage, um, we're very informal, we encourage all sorts of questions and discussions even here. For introverts, there's a text number that you can text questions to. And then extroverts, um, just throw your hand in the air, wave it like you don't care, and then go ahead and share. Um, yep, that was all off the cuff. And we're fans of babies. Some, Twitter is amazing. Somebody tweeted out how offensive it is to have a baby crying in the middle of a church, and it's an offense to the preparation of the pastor. Yeah, and I, I wanted to use bad words in that moment and just say, well... Your job is to serve them, homeboy. It's not the other way around. So we love the crying babies, all right? And we love crying adults, too. Um, and so I just want to make that declaration. All right, if you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to talk, if you remember, because I know you treasure our times together so deeply in your heart, and you remember every word that we discuss together. Last week, Jesus was leveling pretty major critiques against the righteousness of the Pharisees. And for the Pharisees, righteousness was three acts. Giving to the poor, almsgiving, fasting, and praying. And we looked at almsgiving and fasting. Today we're going to look at prayer, um, because he does level the same critique about how the Pharisees prayed. But in the middle of that critique, he gives some amazing teaching about what prayer is and what prayer does. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks on that. So... Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Remember, this is the second of three examples. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Uh, and then here's the point, in order to be seen by others. right? That, the issue isn't us doing good. The issue is us doing good in order for people to see us doing good. Truly, I tell you, they've been paid in full. 
If, it's, it, the impre- if you want to impress other people and they're impressed by your praying, great. You're done. God has nothing left over to bless. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is what? Unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Next. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Now, the word pagan for us is a pejorative, like all the ungodly. Pagan here just means somebody who's not Jewish. Do not keep on babbling or repeating words and phrases like the the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father, bless you, knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. And then Jesus begins the very famous Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. What's interesting is in the middle of this critique against the Pharisees, Jesus gives us two understandings of kind of the practice of prayer. One understanding is the religious performing part of praying. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been in a group and tempted to sound a little bit better than you would normally? Maybe throw some these and thous and Lord, your, your holy sanctification, would it come upon us with great unction? Any of that? You know, I mean, I mean, some people refuse to pray in public exactly for that reason. Like, you, it feels like you have to be polished or performing. So there's the religious performer school of thought that uses a different language and says Jesus in really weird ways. And I don't know, it's just this kind of thing, uh, production almost. But then there's another way uh, to pray, and it was the, the way of the people who weren't Jewish, the pagans in Jesus' language. And those were people who thought if they just repeated the right phrases or found the right incantation or nailed the right formula, the gods would hear them. And so Jesus contrasts the the play actors, and we know who we are, I'm here, and the formula finders, you know, the voodoo prayers who are just like, okay, if I just say in Jesus' name enough, or if I... Um, if I just repeat the request enough, or whatever it is, we're looking for the formula, we're looking for the ritual, we're looking exactly for that thing that gets God to do what we want. Some of us pretend when we pray, and some of us are just looking to manipulate God through our many words. And then in contrast to both of those ways of approaching God, how does Jesus commend we approach God instead? What's the word he uses? You are who? Your father. Of all the ways that Jesus could talk about what praying is like, the image he uses is that of a father and a child. Now, immediately we have to come into disclaimer territory. Is God male? No. Is God female? Is male imagery used in the Bible to describe God? Is female imagery used? Yeah, and a lot more often than our English Bibles would lead us to believe. You know, Yahweh gives birth in the Old Testament. Jesus weeps like a mother hen over her chicks. Paul talks about approaching one of his churches like a nursing mother. Like there are all of of these beautiful feminine images that get sort of layered under so we don't appreciate them. So God isn't male, God isn't female. God has attributes of both. And there are both the images, masculine and feminine images, applied to God and God's work. Fantastic. So if father for you isn't a good image, parent might be 
another way to say that. But for some of us, parent isn't even a good image because of the corrupt family systems that you know, we've sort of all inherited as part of being a corrupt and fallen society. So the word father spoke differently to that culture than it does today. There are reasons. There are Jewish reasons why father was such a oppressing image and Greek image, or Greek reasons why father was an image that Jesus would use. But the point is this. Instead of having to pretend and instead of having to find the right formula, picture a five-year-old asking their parent for something. How polished is that? Is that very polished? Parents, come on. I mean, we have to teach them, please. We don't, they don't even care about a formula. We have to teach them, please and thank you, right? It just is, Seth will come down, my 13-year-old, um, and he will come down and just say, juice box. <laughs> Picture of all the images of what praying is. It's not impressing this disapproving and distant God nor is it trying to find the right formula to get God to do what we want, but find the image of a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 30-year-old asking their parents for help. Now, all the good religious people here already know this and are like, yeah, 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 we got this. And the answer, of course, is no, we don't got this. No one really believes this. So we can sing like, hey, you're good. We sing of the goodness of God, but no one actually believes that. We'd live radically different if we believed that God was really for us and not against us. But I want just the picture that Jesus paints before we get into the complexity of it. I just want the simplicity of it just to stand there in our faces of all the images that God can use. A wise parent answering the requests of their child is the image that Jesus gives us. And built into that image is the idea that we don't always get what we want, correct? I mean, parents, come on. We all know the worst thing we can do to our kids is say yes to everything. Because they don't know what's good, right? We all know this, and yet, when it comes to the no's that we receive, it's a whole different thing, because we do know best. Or so we think, right? Jesus comes back to this father image with even more, it's Kevin, robustness. Later in Matthew 7, it's a favorite Kevin word. It's just a Kevin word. He loves the word robust. Listen for it. <clears throat> I love the word glorious, so we swap words sometimes. But anyway, just robust. It'll slip out. He'll try to fight it. You'll see him looking for another word, but robust will happen. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's, I mean, it's a great word. I think we'll put the second service online. Um, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back to this image of Father. Notice, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, which is a clean animal, give him a snake, which is an unclean animal? If then, though you were evil, thanks Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Come on. 
Do we believe that? Eh. I'm going to go 50% belief on that. I want to believe it. I think it'd be really cool to believe that. But let's just let the teaching of Jesus stand on its face for a second. Of all the images he could give of what it is to pray and relate to God, this is the image he gives. And even though we are fallen and corrupt parents, we know exactly what it's like to be eager to give our kids good gifts. Right? So the picture of God is that God is eager, he is um, ready, he is willing, he is available. All you gotta do is say the word. That's the picture we get. And there are people who take this verse and abstract it away from the father image and just say, well listen, if you name it, you can claim it, and they do this whole thing, and they're just doing the voodoo thing over and over again. I'm sorry, you're coughing. I have some water if if you need it. Uh, It helped when I stopped vaping, just to be honest. That was something that really really worked for me. And so, the image of the father here, I mean, what are some of the words that you pick up in this? What's the image of the father that Jesus presents? Glorious, oh, you're awesome, yes! That was so well done. What else? What's the picture of the father? Wise, yes. What else? Loving, generous. Oh, that's great. What else? What's that? Attentive. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. And robustly attentive. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good one. Is this how we experience God? Many of us. Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes not. And if you do, fantastic. I'm just conveying my struggle. There are times when I'll pray for something so trivial and it's like God was waiting for me just to say the words and bam, there it is. And then I'll be praying for some healing from cancer or some miraculous thing that just feels like you're banging against a brick wall. But as of all the ways that we think about what it means to relate to God, there's the let's be impressive crew. And Jesus says, no, 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 find a place where you're not tempted to play act. Because God actually knows what you need even before you ask. And don't think that there's some magic formula that gets you what you want. Instead, the way a child would ask and trust a parent, that's how you relate to God. So that's the teaching. Pretty simple. The problem is it doesn't always match our lived experiences, and the issue of prayer is kind of a complicated issue. And usually there are three sort of hiccups or obstacles we have to to understanding prayer in the way that Jesus presents. And this, my friends, is where we wade into heavy theological water. And so the time for questions is nigh. Um, as we go. There you go. Look at you, Sarah. Perfect. So I'm going to get into this. We're going to spend about 10 minutes on some, uh, some thick stuff, and then we'll sort of wrap it up and talk about where we go from here. But there seem to be sort of three obstacles to understanding the Father this way. 
Um, the first one is we just don't, we doubt the goodness of the Father. We just really do. We think Jesus is great, but God just seems, he doesn't seem willing, he seems reluctant. He doesn't seem available, sometimes he seems distant. And Jesus anticipates this objection and deals with it right away, right? What's his response? Listen, guys, look at you as human parents. If you can do this, how much more the perfect God in heaven? And I, and I know there's a sense in which we don't always connect with that image. I want to make sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Jesus invites us to envision a God that isn't out to get us. Oh. And this is why, my friends, if you struggle with believing that God is actually good, why it is you need to immerse yourself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because what Jesus will say is, if you've seen me, you've seen who? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus didn't come as an example of what God is like. Jesus came as the definitive revelation of what God is like. And all the other revelations of God are true, but they're incomplete next to Christ. And so Jesus has to fill. We don't think of God and then Jesus. We think of Jesus revealing the unseen Father in perfect attribution. So often we just don't trust the goodness of the Father, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But oftentimes... The real struggle is an unanswered prayer, right? I mean, we pray for things all the times that don't happen. I'm lonely, please provide somebody. I'm single, please provide somebody. I'm married, please provide somebody. I mean, whatever it is, right? We're asking for things all the time. And though we intellectually know no is a legitimate option, boy, it feels a lot harder than that. And we did, I don't know when it was, Kev, we did something months ago on unanswered prayers. What are bad answers when somebody has something bad happen that they've been praying against and then it happens? We talked about a bad answer number one is that, um, oh, it must have been God's will. We talked about the idea that there are other wills being done on earth than just God's. Bad answer number two is you just didn't have enough faith. That totally misconstrues what faith is in the scriptures. The only good answer we have about why some prayers don't get answered is we don't know. I know that Paul had a very specific prayer about removing a thorn that didn't get answered. Now Jesus prayed very specifically that a cup would pass and that didn't get answered the way he wanted to. So we live in a reality that is so complex. We get all these weird hints that other things affect our prayers than just God's willingness in our asking. There's another team on the field. We get this image in Daniel where Daniel prays for insight into a vision. An angel shows up three weeks later and is like, sorry, I was battling like the prince of Persia. You're like, what is that? Really? So the first hiccup we had is we don't often really believe God's this way because we just doubt the character of the Father. Second hiccup we have is that, man, it seems like... It doesn't seem like we ask and he always says yes and we keep on knocking and the door opens. It doesn't just match our lived experience and there are reasons why God doesn't always answer prayer. 
But I think the third hiccup is one that I hear a lot and you know, really dealt with myself, and that is we don't really understand how it is that God relates to the world. All right, now, deep theological water's coming, okay? Look at me. Say my name. It's a Breaking Bad reference right there. I just, just wanted to see if anyone, we're in the middle of it right now. Whew. I should have been a chemist, guys. That's all I'm going to say. No, I know, Dave, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I did not. I do not want to be a chemist. I'm just saying, there's nothing like being years late to a massive cultural party. Um, anyway, so we watched Say My Name last night. And if you're like, what is this show? Fantastic. You do not need to watch it at all. What were we talking about? We were talking, Say My Name, yeah, yeah. All right, any questions thus far? Let me, let me do that. Anything stirring up inside? you want to talk about or discuss. Nice. Oh, yes. Glorious. Oh, nice. Oh, what a wonderful question. So hypothetically, oh, I'm going to. I, I got one word out. You didn't even know if I was going to. Hypothetically, if someone has parental trauma, how do you do, disassociate that trauma with the idea of God as parent or God as father or God as mother or whatever? And several thoughts come to mind. The first one is, that's above my pay grade. And um, I've, I've had to, um, I found counseling and spiritual direction very, very helpful to go back into family of origin stuff. Not everyone in the Christian community buys it. I personally think it's wonderful if, if you find the right person. Second thing is, and, and I know this is the cheesy thing to say, but I mean, I literally read the gospels over and over and over. And one thing I do is I, I pray the Lord's Prayer. That's the way I pray. And so when I get to the Father part, I say, God, thank you for parenting me this week. And then I review all of the ways I, I've seen his goodness, kindness, faithfulness, his redirection, <laughs> his whatever. And that actually helps me a great deal to see. Because right, if all the good gifts come from the Father, according to James, then I can just start naming the good gifts. So that, that's where I'd start, but my goodness, that is a lifelong process. And maybe the, the image of parent doesn't work. I think for some people, it might, might just be so damaged. So I don't actually do, I don't just limit it to father, I do parent myself. It's a great question. So, and, and there's so much more to say, it's just I'm no expert on how to overcome that trauma. Man. Susie Lynn. That's fantastic. All right. Those two people back there standing up, Sam and Susie, they, uh, Susie just said they have loads of great resources in the area for spiritual directors and therapists. So please see them. Great. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. Kevin. And, um, you mentioned in the uh, uh, 
Yep. Yeah. Yes. If you want me to repeat this question, you got to make it so much shorter. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys remember the prayer of Jabez? Anybody? Right, right. So yes, the Christian community can fall prey to the voodoo stuff all the time, right? You just say this. But, but Kevin does bring up a great point, that there are teachings of Jesus where he literally says, hey, this is a parable about why you should pray and never give up. And he proceeds to tell this woman who badgers this unjust judge, and then the judge finally relents. Now, Jesus uses this teaching form. It's, 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 the, it's from lesser to greater. And he'll say, how much more then? And that's a very Jewish way of saying, if it's true for people who are evil, how much more true is it for the goodness of God? So there is an encouragement to keep praying. Now, the question is, why? Doesn't Jesus just say, he already knows what we need, so why ask? And I've heard people and me say this all the time. Well, if God's going to do what he's going to do, then why pray at all? Right? So this is where we get into some theology. How does God relate to the world? Well, there's one school of thought theologically that says it's already mapped out. God is the director. We are actors in a pre-written script. We think we have freedom, but everything that happens on the earth is already God's will. This is not the teaching of the Bible, if I can just be so bold. On the opposite extreme is the view that God doesn't actually know what's going to happen. He's learning like the rest of us. And I don't think that's what the scripture teaches either. What the scripture, in my view, and again, loads of people disagree. In my view, prayer is an expression of our partnership with God. The, the picture in Genesis is of God displaying his sovereignty through human beings, correct? And not around them. So Adam names the animals. Could, have, could God have done that better? Sure. I don't know where hippopotamus came from, but that's kind of the, the idea we get. <laughs> could God run the world better? Yes, but his intention was to do it through human persons. And, and, we, and we call these covenants. Right, we got Noah, we got Abram, we got Moses, we got David, and then a new covenant in Christ. These are agreements between a God who could coerce and run the world far better than we, but chooses instead to look for cooperative partners in his work. And praying is how that partnership is primarily expressed. Think about, think about what requesting does, all right? If there are two people who respect each other's dignity, the only way to cooperate in the world is by asking, correct? You can't coerce, you can't force, you can't manipulate. You just ask. 
right? I mean, asking is the only dynamic that allows for both participants to be dignified in their image of godness. So the power of requesting is all over the Bible. And it is the primary way we learn to be careful with our words and our desires, but also how do we partner with God? Because there are loads of prayers while well, pray for something, and then the thought enters my head immediately, that'd be great for you to do. Like, what are you asking me for? You got the money, right? <laughs> there are other times when I'm praying for things, and, and I, you know, you, the sense you get from God is, God's like, yeah, yeah, let's work on this one together. Like when my son and I, so Seth has Down syndrome, all he can do is request. That's all he's got. He needs us for so many things, all he does is request. And initially, when he's tiny, right, we are very controlling of his requests because we're teaching him maturity. As he gets older, we loosen up on the requesting. We say yes more, or Seth, whatever you want to do more, right? That's just maturity. So my view of prayer is that this is partnership with God. We're not just asking a vending machine or a genie. What we're doing is that God and I are ruminating and working on what it looks like to bring his kingdom in and through my life as it is in heaven. And so yes, asking is a part of it, but see, you are formed by the asking itself. Does that make sense? Man, I'm sweating. This is why I sit down. <laughs> it's the asking that matures us relationally into the kind of mature people who are trustworthy with God's power. Are you with me on this? This, so God just hasn't written it all. Prayer actually does things in the world, absolutely. But that's why God grows us into that and doesn't just give us that right away. And if you really want something that'll blow, well, I don't know, it blows my mind. How does Jesus relate to creation? What does he have to do to it? Like the fig tree, what does he do? He just speaks to it, right? How does Yahweh create the world? Speaks to it. So, in the spiritual reality that we call the kingdom of God, words actually have far more power than they do here. And prayer is one of the ways that we learn to use those words well. This makes sense. Now, I know this is a bit all over and rambly, so let me sort of wrap it up. I was, uh, did you have anything? Okay, go ahead. It's not on. No. You can just speak into the. Oh, no, that'd be very bad. Okay. Okay. Um, how do you learn to trust the goodness of God when there are times, practically and realistically, here on Earth, it doesn't show up? Perhaps due to the other forces at work on Earth. Essentially, how do we understand what He would do with our prayers if other forces weren't at play? Oh, man, that's so good. Whoever wrote this anticipated exactly my next sermon move. <laughs> Perfect. When I was a younger person, so I'm late 30s, so this is probably 10 years ago. 
doesn't have to be that loud. You can at least sort of pretend. So I was working for a church uh, in Southern California, and Easter in the Christian community is like the Super Bowl. It's like you got to put your best stuff out there. And so we did this huge thing at the... Um, OC Fairgrounds, all right? And it was the amphitheater that, that sat about 9,000 people. And we would do two Easter services, and I would have to get up there and teach. And I was horrified the first week, the first Easter we were gonna try this. And so I, the night before Easter Sunday, I was roaming around this amphitheater, praying like crazy, trusting my many words. Um, and a, a buddy of mine showed up, and he just said, uh, a, a buddy of mine showed up, and he began to pray. He said, can I pray for you? I'm like, absolutely, that would be great. I need it. And earlier that day, my son, my oldest son, his name is Nate, he plays soccer in college, but when he was four or five, we discovered he was so good at soccer. And as a dad, I literally, he would score four or five goals in the first couple of minutes, and then they'd pull him. And so, I know, it was... I'm sorry, but I loved it. I just loved, I loved it so much. And, um, and so while this guy was praying for me, my mind, I know this is shocking, drifted to thinking about Nate and how cool it was that he was scoring all these goals. And then my buddy grabs my shoulder really hard and he's like, hey, God wants you to know that how you're thinking about your son right now is the way God thinks about you. And I went, first of all, God, you shouldn't tell on me that I was drifting, but secondly, <laughs> now, I was blown away by that, but did I believe it? I've struggled my whole life to believe that to be true. So when you ask, how do you learn? We can be told a thousand times that this is good, but our lived experience so often seems to contradict it. So how do we grow? Nothing, nothing at all magic. One of the prayers I find that I pray very often is God, show me your goodness. And then I just watch. I immerse myself in Jesus as we've said because I find him so compelling and beautiful. And I ask God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Because I wrestle. And then I do all the work and other spaces of spiritual direction and counseling to come out, kind of deal with whatever hiccups I have or filters I have that get in the way of seeing God as that good. There's no magic formula. We just come to the table and take communion every week. We come to the table and we sing the songs. We come to the table and we remind each other and slowly we dare to begin to believe that God is actually this good and that the purpose of our praying isn't to get yes, but it's something far better and richer. So today, what I wanted to do, um, yeah, absolutely. Man, that was a great question, by but the way. This is good, and other, there might be other people tripped up by this too. So I get that God can be both mother and father to us, the supreme parent being everything we need, etc. But I've always thought of him as father and male, just as Jesus slash God came as man in his image, God in flesh. 
Can you clarify your statement that God isn't male, God isn't female? Oh, my. I was wrapping up. I know, but, you know. You no, it's good. Said Absolutely. Some things and people I might did say really, some I did, you know. I did say some things. Absolutely. All right. Why does God create male and female in his image? When he says, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, why does it have to be male and female? Why not just create one human? Why two? Partnership, multiply, yep. Because both represent the full image of God. And it's not just the man by himself, and it's not just the woman by herself, it's the, it's the full image that's represented by the male and the female. That's why when, when God says to the, to the man, and in fact, he doesn't gender Adam until he creates Eve. It's an ungendered human. Adam just means human. So you have a human roaming around and then gets gendered into male and female. And why? Because they both represent aspects of what God is like. Now, what we do is that we can only abstract from our experience about what God is like. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. So for us, we, we in, are in a tradition where God has been almost exclusively understood as male, and if God is understood as representing sort of, or having female characteristics, that's some new age sort of thing. And there's a lot of new age sort of things that way, but man, when you get, dive into the original languages, it's shocking how much feminine imagery is used of, about what God is like and how God relates to the world. So, I understand, so when I say gendered, I mean God can't be just male and God can't be just female because it's the togetherness of the two that reflects the full image. That's why when God says it's not good that the man is alone. Isn't that odd? This person had all of God, no sin, no nothing, and yet it still wasn't good. So God made it so that we need each other. David. Yes, well, oh, so the question is, I love y'all, and we'll wrap this up shortly. I know you're dying. So the our image and our likeness, those plural words, Protestant scholars read Trinity back into that. The ancients actually had a view that, that there was something called the divine council, where God led a council of other spiritual beings. Those spiritual beings have fallen. I know this is wacky and I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. So there's debate about who the, the R is. The R could be the Trinity. I don't think that's how the original hearers would have understood that. It could be the divine council. Or there's one scholar who thinks that the R is the male and femaleness of God. I frankly don't know which the answer is. But the picture we get is of a, a communal God creating an image that can only be fully expressed in community. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Unanswered prayers, yes. Do you think we think they're unanswered? Because we're all praying for different 
Right. Right. Ooh. Why aren't you up here? I don't understand. Why are, why are you not helping me right now? So the idea, unanswered, is really a subjective thing, right? It might be unanswered to me, but you might be praying for the exact opposite and that the greater good came that way, for sure. I mean, and that's the point of Jesus. On the one hand, prayer is the simplest thing you can imagine. Picture a parent, a really good, wise, faithful parent, eager to help you and ask. And it's a really complex thing because it involves contradicting human wills, all sorts of fallenness, corruption, and powers and principalities. And both are true. So today, as we take some time now to respond, there's this passage in uh, Luke um, where Jesus comes across a blind man. The blind man is shouting at Jesus and Jesus orders the man to be brought to him. And then he says this line, what do you want me to do for you? So I thought perhaps as we go to the Lord's Supper, you might take a piece of paper and answer that question for you. I mean, think about that. No constraints, didn't have to be religious. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, I want to see. And he begins to see. And so one of the things that is imperative for us as we're leaning into what it, ha- what it means to have partnership with God is that we do keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking because that process itself forms us into the kinds of people that God wants us to be. And so as you're worshiping, as you're taking the bread and the cup, how would you answer that question for you? Just from the honesty of your heart. Jesus of Nazareth asks you, what do you want me to do? How would you respond? And as always, there's so much more to say. Kevin will... um, have a robust discussion in the back after this. But this stuff, man, this is where a lot of theology really matters about how it is you see God. So Father, we just come before you and, and we confess that this is such a, at least for, for me and I think for a lot of us, this is such a hard topic. This is such a hard thing to understand. And it's a really hard thing for us to believe. I mean, we can say the words all the time that you're good, but God, we want to deeply believe that. We want to deeply believe the picture that Jesus gives of you. And so we pray, God, that you would help us move beyond the images of you that inhibit that picture and to see you as you really are, that all of this head stuff would work its way into our souls, that we might be a community, God, that just learns to ask and seek and knock, believing that all the good things that happen come from you. And so, God, we bless you in this time, and we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.